Coming up this week, off-screen, M. Night Shyamalan sends us packing on The Visit. Tom Hardy is a legend, twice no less. The kids are back in the Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. We meet La Famille Bellier, and Woody Allen introduces us to an irrational man. All those to come and more off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I'm Case Allen. So, should we start with uh, with Legend? Because that's getting a lot of marketing. It's getting quite a lot. Yeah. Should, should we also talk about the poster debacle? Oh, because yeah, because the Guardian yeah. gave it two stars, and there is the brilliant thing. Yeah. Uh, this is Ben Lee. Uh, ben Lee's review. Um, he gave it two stars. It's been positioned between the heads of Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy. And, yeah. Yes. It's pretty genius, really. It's kind of genius, and it started a whole thing about uh, because the public seem unaware about uh, PR companies and marketing companies taking review quotes out of context. Mm. It happens quite a lot, really. It's very, very often. Mm. But So, okay, Legend, which is uh, uh, latest from uh, Brian Helgeland directing. Yeah. He's uh, done quite a bit, yeah. He has, and uh, nice style. most yeah. known, I think, for writing L.A. Confidential, bizarrely. Of course, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's won won an Oscar for that film. He yeah. did. And now he's got his take on the craze, and Tom Hardy's playing not one, but both of the craze yeah. uh, in 60s London, where, of course, they ruled. They were organised crime incarnate. Ronnie and Reggie Cray. Of course, you have Ronnie, who is the uh, slightly less mentally stable one who uh, <laughs> they do they, they they sort of strong arm his way out of a mental hospital at the film's inset yeah he's, he's, he's a colourful character he is and uh, I always remember them I can't tell them apart I can never remember which one's which yeah. and then I remember that uh, Ron is almost like wrong so whichever's the wrongest one that's that's, <laughs> that's Ron. Ron yeah, yeah. Uh, got Tom Hardy of course as Reggie as well who enters into a relationship with a woman he will eventually marry which of course if you know the story of the craze you know he's sort of going to end in tears historically and uh, in the meanwhile you have uh, Ronnie's uh, rather unbalanced war against everyone he perceives as an enemy in London at the time here's a clip you know, it's too much about things. Things about us, Richie. You know, it's too many things about us. You know, it's too many things about us. Right, Albie, do you know things about us, mate? You know things, eh? About Ron, about me, about the firm, right? You know, about, about payments, right? Do you know we cash pair bonds, yeah? Do you know we pay off juries to make them look favourably upon us, do you? Yes. Jack, mate, do you know anything about fraud? Anything at all? Take a punt. Do you know anything about how we pay off policemen every final Thursday of the month? Do you know that? Of course I do. So why don't we kill Jack now? Well, you can do me and I'll do you and we're both there. That's a genius idea. Listen to yourself, Ron. You're nuts! So, legend then. I mean, this is, I mean, the marketing for this one is everywhere. You can't miss. You can't, you can't avoid. You can't avoid it, can you? No. You, you can't. And there is something kind of interesting about, uh, about, about legend in that it is notably sort of aimed, the film seems to have been crafted and aimed towards women. Hmm. towards a female demographic. It's got this female-driven uh, voiceover by Emily Browning as uh, Reggie Cray's hmm. uh, wife-girlfriend. Wife, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it does seem to have this let's play it to the ladies sort of idea. Hmm. And that's kind of interesting to me, given that the last time we saw Tom Hardy was Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't really talk. was it's... marketed to men, but yeah. really was a film ladies. about women. Yeah. 
And that that's interesting to me. So mm. now you've got the craze, of course, which, don't get me wrong, guys will enjoy the hell out of it as well because, you know, there's Tom Hardy as both craze. Yeah. And it's Tom Hardy, what's not to love? Well, I think that's another thing for the ladies as well. I mean, there's two Tom Hardys. So, yeah, you get yeah. two Tom Hardys for your buck. It's mm. like uh, it's kind of like Orange Wednesdays, two for one. In fact, <laughs> two for one. If you went in on Meerkat uh, movies and it was two for one, you get two for one, you actually get two for two Tom Hardys. That's for it, one, yeah. yeah. That is a bargain. That is a bargain. <laughs> yeah. So technically that's four for one, but never mind. God, four, four Tom Hardys is too much. Yeah, no. You know, four, four bargains, but yeah, yeah, yeah that works. So, of course, you've also got another element to it which is quite interesting, which is there's been a sort of reshuffling of the dynamic of the story this time around. Mm. So, if you remember the uh, the one with the Kemp's from 1990, I, I do remember that. The focus in terms of the female audience was on the mother figure. Mm. This time around, the mother is barely mentioned. The father is a fleeting glimpse at best. I don't think he has a single line, and all of the female focus is on Emily Browning's character. And that's a very interesting shift, I think. It says a lot about the times, you know, a lot of how they're marketing this film now and how they want it to play. Um, so you've got Hardy as both the uh, both the Cray twins. And there's a lot to love in that. He is having a lot of fun. Um, unlike what the trailers will, will sort of have you believe, um, his performance as Ronnie is not quite as cartoonish as you'd expect. Because <laughs> it is very cartoonish in the trailer. Not the trailer quite, definitely plays up yeah. that aspect. Yeah. It's not quite that way in the film. In context, it works a lot better. Although it is worth saying that his Reggie is actually more interesting because it represents mm. a strangely normal guy for Tom Hardy. Which, yeah. yeah. When was the last time he played like a normal guy? Has and it he was ever? good. This it's, is as close as I think he's come. This means war. But even then, he's yeah. like an agent. So. Yeah, it, it's strange, isn't it? And it's a terrible film. Um. <laughs> Emily Browning, she presents at once a quite an interesting female lead, but also the biggest problem in the film. She's, she's a perfectly engaging female lead. However, her mm. voiceover is awful. Absolutely terrible voiceover. Really takes her out of the film. You've then got a number of cast members who are really underutilised. Uh, Chris Eccleston. Yeah. So Christopher Eccleston. My favourite Doctor Who. Christopher Eccleston. Underutilised. Uh, Paul Bettany. Did you even know he was even I in this? I did know. Um, Taron Egerton, I believe. Taron Egerton. No, Taron Egerton get, gets a bit more to do. to do than you... Because for the first half of the film, you're like, why is he in this? I don't get it. Yeah. And then, second half, he has a lot more to do. Okay. Uh, Charles Parmentieri, though, has a nice little... Oh, he's... Again, still too little, but a nice little bit. It's just good to see him in a gangster film. It, exactly. Um, the problem with Legend largely is the components that it's, of which it consists clash constantly. So, on the one hand, you have this film which really wants to be a Scorsese movie. And it really does. I mean, from its opening, it's got this sort of, we want to do a British Scorsese mm-hmm. movie and we want that humour. But then it keeps going off in too far into the realm of the dark, sadistic comedy. And that's a problem when you then have a film which seems to shy away from being the the really gritty tale that you want it to be. I mean, if you boil it down, this really is... Blood and gore aside, Hmm. this actually isn't any more adult than the Kemp's version. Which I found very odd, particularly for a film in 2015 from the writer of LA Confidential, in an era of post-departed. Yeah. There's also, and I keep finding this, I found this with the 90s version as well, uh, a a very disappointing lack of scope to it all. So you don't quite really ever get a sense of the size of the craze operation. Mm. It really does seem to be, here's their living room, here's a cafe, and and occasionally we'll go to a hotel. And it seems to be that. Mm. Um, For the most part, there is some flair to to the visuals. I mean, Brian Helgen's got some very slick, very engaging style to it. Uh, The cast are on top form which I, I can't really dispute that at all. And the Craze story is always interesting. 
It's never not interesting. The problem is it, it's a little bit messy in terms of in terms of its tone going all over the place, a little bit cartoonish, awful voiceover that just feels very televisual. Mm. But there is there is enough in there to enjoy. Yeah. Should we do some film news then, Case? Let's do some film news, man. Because there's Divergent. We're going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, the name change for the final film, I believe. This is, so yeah. rather than Allegiant Part 1, so it's going to be the Divergent Series colon, Allegiant Legion. colon Part 1, and then the Divergent <laughs> Series colon, Allegiant colon Part 2. Just call it colon. Just and call the film the colon series. I would call colon. it Divergent colon. Divergent colon. Insurgent colon. So now, of course, um, in March next year, we're going to get the Divergent Series colon, Allegiant. Yep. The following March, you will now get, instead of Allegiant Part 2, you will get the Divergent series, colon, Ascendant. Ooh, which means they have actually mystical. invented a title. I don't yeah. know. I've not read the book, so I can't... Um, I was reading an interview with the author. She just said, they've changed it, it'll be fine. That's essentially it's what she said. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think she just didn't have any say in it. Just you know what? Any fans that are up in arms, just remember, are, Rose are there any by fans? any other name. Yeah. I think that... <laughs> no, no, no. There are fans, because I sat in a an IMAX uh, preview screening of Insurgent, and believe me, there are fans... Very, very vocal fans. No, man, it's just people waiting for Hunger Games to come out. That's all that is. is. <laughs> and, of course, we have to talk about uh, Legendary Pictures and their little machinations oh, yeah, little today. Adventure. This is quite a good one. Mm. So, we had Godzilla in 2014. Uh, 2014? 2014. Yeah, uh, over at Warner Brothers, produced by Legendary Pictures. Mm. Legendary, shortly after that, moved their films over to Universal, where they began work on Kong Skull Island, starring your personal favourite, Misbury Larson. I love it. <laughs> and almost starred J.K. Simmons, but not quite. Almost. Almost, but not Still, quite. it's going to be a good cast. It's got half the cast of Straight Outta Compton in this. I'll say, we've got Corey Hawkins. However, now, Thomas Tull, who is one of the heads of Legendary Pictures, yeah. has moved the project back over to Warner Brothers, is where Godzilla lives. There we are. <laughs> and the idea is now we're going to get Godzilla 2 and it's going to set up a third movie that's going to... Be, uh, sorry, a fourth movie in this yeah. case, which is going to be King Kong versus Godzilla. Boom. Yes. There you go. What's not to look? That must have been the plan that like, had to from be. the start. I think Absolutely. that is. So we've got that to look forward to. I mean, we just need Gareth Edwards to finish up on that space movie he's doing. Uh, um, Star Trek something or other, I believe. It's, Star uh, Battles? Star yeah. Battles. Star ba- space Battles. Space Battles, Battlefronts, Wars. That's it. That's something it like that. Yeah. Something like that. The Force wakens up. Right, shall we do the box office top ten then, guys? Let's do the old top ten. Okay, so, start us off. Number ten. Hitman Agent 47. It's moved down to number ten. It has quite quickly as well. I liked Agent 47 as a schlocky, you know, video game movie, beer and pizza fest. I'd watch it as a TV show. I would as definitely, well. Actually. Definitely I, wants a show. Perfect TV show. Great yeah. idea for a TV show. Um, but as a, as a movie, you know, it's perfectly fine up until it's very, very Resident Evil-like ending. But, eh. You know what? It'll do. I, I, I got on with it and I enjoyed it and it had Hannah Ware in it and she's brilliant and I want to see Zach Quinto in more action films. Yeah. Number nine. The Man from Uncle. Now you're a fan of this one. I this am is, a fan this of your this. I, I would see a franchise of it, but I don't think we're going to. Exactly. I don't think we'll get a franchise of it. No. I think but, it is one it's and okay. done. Just a one and done. It was very stylish, had a lot of cool visual flair. Um, Guy Bitch is a good director. There are a lot of people who've uh, who've made comments recently about, oh, Henry Cavill, not a leading man. Man from Uncle shows this. I'm like, actually, I thought it was fine in Man from Uncle. He was enjoying 
incredible. I think it was really good. The man was courted to play James Bond and Bruce Wayne, and I think that kind of sets it up. That kind of does. I like the back and forth as well. Yeah. Number eight. Okay, new entry. Uh, Jesse Eisberg in American Ultra. Did you get to see this in the end? Uh, no. 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 I don't. I've, I've been reading all of the Max Landis, but it's a good original film, man, kind of tweets. No, Max. That's pro- no, it that's is not. And I can appreciate what he was trying to do, but frankly, the film isn't funny. And, I mean, there's a, there's a handful of laughs, but the film isn't funny. The film isn't, and, and because it's not funny, it works more as a straight movie. And as a straight movie, it's not particularly interesting or engaging. And yeah, that's kind of a problem for your spy comedy. Yeah, boo, Max. Number seven. This is another new entry for Transporter, refueled, rebooted, rejigged, whatever. <laughs> they, could have, they could have literally done Transporter, rebooted. Couldn't Just they? any R word subtitle. If they <laughs> it's had, one of those. That's it? it. If they could recast this, if they had given it a slightly better script, this would have been the Transporters, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That would have worked. And it would have been fantastic. Now, there are moments to it that are, that are enjoyable. However, Ray Stevenson is doing his best version of the Roger Moore routine. Ed Screen is absolutely... Absolutely terrible in it. I mean, so bad. He can kick, though, apparently. He, he can kick. That, that's about all that's he can it. do. Number six. Right, he's still hanging in there. Pixels. I enjoyed it. Perfectly fine family film. See it in IMAX, see it in 3D. Switch your brain off, sit there and enjoy some video games. Go to the arcade afterwards. Go to the arcade afterwards. Even, even Adam Sandler's tolerable in it. <laughs> it's basically pl- uh, playing Fry, isn't he? He is playing Fry. Yeah. <laughs> number five. I'm so, so happy this is number five. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Which you you yeah. loved it. You saw it before me. You were a very big fan. Big I then time. went and saw it, and I came. I can see it. what he's talking about. Yeah, definitely. Yes, very very good. Mm. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I like the cast in it. Um, I forget the name. Thomas Thomas uh, Mann. Thomas Mann. I would watch him in just more quick little teenager. This seems to be his shtick <laughs> though, because he I mean, absolutely. You didn't like him in Barely Lethal though, did you? I didn't like anything about Barely Lethal. <laughs> but you liked everything. I think about Me and the Dying Girl. My particular yeah. favourite is uh, John Bernthal as the teacher. I think he's absolutely oh, fantastic. Terrific. Yeah, very funny, very touching film. Number four. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. With your favourite, uh, Mr. Rebecca Ferguson. Yes. And uh, Your favourite, Mr. Baldwin. And my favourite, Mr. Baldwin. Everyone's favourite, Mr. Baldwin. Favorite. <laughs> Consider your next words very carefully. Where is that? <laughs> that will never not be good. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I was talking to a, a friend at the Foo Fighters concert last week. And just, just, just dropping right in there. Just, just, no, because, because we did this a day early last week, so that we oh, could go yeah, to yeah, the Foo Fighters. Yeah. And uh, I did, he said, how is Alec Baldwin? That one, he's fantastic. He gets to deliver <laughs> the great line, Hunt is the manifestation of destiny. And he does it with a straight face. It no one can genius. do that but Alec Baldwin. No. And not in a film as fun, and nowhere else but a film as fun as Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Number three. <sighs> so, No Escape is a new entry. No! <laughs> yeah. Where's Look, my Darth Vader costume? Kill no. one. <laughs> it is. It's a zombie movie yeah. without zombies. It's pig ignorant of the fact that there is a world outside of the US. And Pierce Brosnan is a bloody uh, mockney. Pierce Brosnan's a mockney and probably the best thing about the film. Yeah. Um, I regret now ever wanting to see Owen Wilson in an action thriller again. Um, I think rather than see this, you should just watch Behind Enemy Lines a few more times. Number two. Inside Out. It's now going away, is it? It's hang- it's number, still two number, spot. Two. number two spot. It's crazy. Forever. I don't know what else we can say of um, I love it. It's it's a crazy emotional. I don't know. That's words. it. I, I, I try to think about Ride, what whatever. I, it's just. Yeah, I try to think about how I feel about Inside Out, and really all I get is the, my own version of joy in my head. Pushing buttons. <laughs> What Just a bit like yellow van. It, it would. It would like <laughs> yeah. a yellow cartoonish van. Would it be like Robert Downey Jr.? Just quite, quite possible now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be like that. Number one, and still hanging in at the top spot, straight out of Compton. 
Straight out of Compton, still at number one yeah. now. <laughs> Crazy. Got straight out of Compton, but stuck team. around at number one. <laughs> yeah. And what is there really left to say on this one? It's perfectly enjoyable, but I mean, it has real issues as regards representing a true story, and yeah. that's not based on knowing. Mm-hmm the true story inside out. I'm talking about just what's in the public domain in terms of like the music they've put out and the, the press reports. And and it shouldn't take away from the fact that it is an entertaining film. It should have been a Best Picture contender, but it isn't. It really is just an entertaining film. I think a lot of people are still going to campaign for it to be that, though. I think so. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's more because of what it represents rather than what it is. And how much it's made. Well, there is that, too. Some more film news then before we carry on with reviews. And we've got to talk about the greatest event in the world, which is taking place this Sunday on the island of Catalina case. Yes, fill us in on what it is. It is the Catalina wine mixer. Why am I excited about the Catalina wine mixer case? Because it because it's the Catalina wine mixer, that's why. Right, so of course this is based on the event in the movie Step Brothers from yeah. 2008, Will Ferrell, uh, John C. Riley. They are recreating the event in the real world. Not only are they recreating the event, the venue, the beach club at which it's being held, has signed a promotional agreement for helicopters... Just like in the movie. <laughs> and rather than a Billy Joel cover band, which I believe was called Uptown Girl, they Somewhere have about, yeah. the Dan Band performing. And if you're not familiar yeah. with the Dan Band, they're one of my favourite bands. They are the band that appeared in a lot of Todd Phillips' movies. Mm. They are the wedding band in <laughs> The Hangover and Old School. Starsky and Hutch. They are the Bar Mitzvah, bar mitzvah band, band in Starsky yeah. and Hutch. See, I, I didn't, I've seen all of those films, but just did not connect it together until yeah. I looked them up this morning. I, I, I must show you that album case. It's filled with some gems. <laughs> I'm sure. There are some gems in that album. So, the Catalina Wine Mixer, the <laughs> Catalina Wine mm. Mixer, is actually happening. So, Animorphs, are you familiar with this franchise? Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, I always forget you are. Like, you've got like half a decade younger than me, so you, yeah, you, yeah, you roughly, kind of yeah. know more of these things than I do. Um, now, I had, to go, I had to turn to Calvin for this. Because I'm unaware of the existence of Cal- this Calvin's franchise. like a man with the youth, isn't he? he, he yeah, yeah. He's the youth. He's, he's the, the youth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's the youth. He has hoodies. He has actual hoodies. <laughs> he has, actual, he has actual hoodies. Yeah. Wow. His don't come from next, like ours case. <laughs> I actually have two from next. <laughs> when you, I've, I've reached that age. When, when you pass a certain point, your hoodies yeah. only come from next or Burton's. That's yeah. how it works. The same place um, where I can buy like throw cushions and stuff I can get my hoodies exactly yeah. if you can buy throw cushions there that's where you buy hoodies yeah, yeah. Uh, so of course Animorphs is a franchise from the 90s it was young adult novels it became a TV series well I think it was Nickelodeon was it I, and it was, so. I believe it was Nickelodeon it was a live action a TV it, series yeah. it was sort of a tran- uh, not a tran- a Power Rangers style teenagers can turn into something else and fight evil yeah. kind of series only they could turn into animals I believe mm. they morphed into animals this is now being turned into a film franchise <laughs> over at Universal because, hey, young adult novels. Yeah, because property. Because property. <laughs> it's like Monopoly. Really. <laughs> it kind of is. Uh, Patrick Dempsey. Have you, have you heard Oh, this? I've heard about oh. this. So he has joined uh, the cast of Bridget Jones 3, which is Bridget Jones's baby. Bridget Jones's baby. Yeah. Now, there isn't. there are no plot details at present, although the title... Oh, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be some... Is, gonna be, is she gonna have a kid? I, gonna have a it, it's possible. She's I gonna say. steal a baby. The int- well, now that's a Bridget Jones movie. That. I would say, <laughs> like she gets dumped by Colin Firth, and the despair drives mm. her to raid a maternity ward and abduct a baby, and that that is a role I feel Renee Zellweger was born to play. She was definitely born to play. But, that, yeah. um, 
The, the interesting thing of this one is that it won't be based on the third Bridget Jones book. No. Which was Mad About the Boy, uh, which was released... Uh, was it last year or the year before? I think it was two years ago, two years. but um, that, that had quite a bit of controversy surrounding it. And why did it, Case? I'm not a fan or anything, I just know a lot about it, because Mr. Darcy dies. Didn't he... Do, I think he dies before the book is set. You know, he so, does, like, off, off died page, in the past. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Off screen, off page. Off page, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so he, he's not in that, and... Yeah. Yes. But this so. this film does not concern that. Right? The film does not concern that. The Col- film Col- allegedly is based on her newspaper columns instead. Yeah, so you shall see. And Patrick Dempsey of Grey's Anatomy, and most importantly of all, <laughs> of Transformers: Dark of the Moon, has <sighs> joined the cast. Yeah. So we shall see what comes of this. There's no world. I forgot he was even in that. Really? That was like in the inner recesses of my brain. Right. Somewhere. Transformers: Dark of the Moon genuinely is Patrick Dempsey's last film role. That was four he's, he's years ago. He's like a ago. really rubbish. Evil businessman, bad guy. Isn't he, he is. Yes, yeah. he always looks like he's about to model a watch. <laughs> Every time I look at Patrick Dempsey, I just think you're going to model a watch in a minute, aren't you? <laughs> Why is he taking his blade? Oh, right, I see. <laughs> so one final piece, then we'll get to a review. Uh, Tom Cruise has got a new interesting project that he's circling, oh, and this yeah. is going to reunite mm. him with Doug Lyman. I um, really, really like their partnership. I do like their partnership because cool. it was uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, they're doing another one right now. What's it? And this is Luna Park. Luna Park, circling. Yeah. And this is just quite interesting. I kind of mm. like the idea. Uh, interesting point, by the way, and I forgot to bring this up last week. Mm. In American Ultra, yeah. there are a number of references, bizarrely, to filmmakers. The town in which all the events take place yeah. is the town of Lyman. Really? So, yeah. Go figure on that one. There's loads of other little filmmaker names dropped throughout. Just a point about Doug Lightman, on. producer on uh, VOC. He is. Yeah. He is, in fact, a producer on the VOC. Mm. Been rewatching it. Yeah. So, yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. So, shall we review uh, The Visit then? <laughs> uh, I can tell you're looking to. forward to hearing what uh, M. Night has got for us. So, this is the latest from M. Night. Is it, is it a Blumhouse as well? It is also a Blumhouse. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting distinction that I'm going to talk about in a minute as mm. well. Uh, so, M. Night Shyamalan has uh, delivered us this latest tome <laughs> in which uh, two two children, one a teenage girl who really likes to speak metatextually about filmmaking, and her younger brother who really likes to rap, go on a visit... Yes, I can see you like, well, does it make a sense? Yeah. It doesn't. Um, they go on a visit to their estranged grandparents. Their mother is going away on holiday. She sends them to visit their estranged grandparents, who've recently uh, gotten back in touch to try and repair their relationship with their daughter, discover they have grandchildren they've never met. And, of course, say, come on, send us the kids while you're on your holes. Come on! And, of course, the mum is Catherine Hahn. So, who I like very much. Who we all love Catherine yeah. Hahn. So no one would wish harm to Catherine Hahn. So, you know, why would you harm her kids? Was that really fun to say? <laughs> that was really fun to say. And uh, so the kids go to visit their grandparents, played by a uh, uh, interesting pair of actors, uh, Peter McRobbie and... Uh, is it Deanna? Deanna Dunnigan. I was going to say Duggan. Deanna Dunnigan, <laughs> sorry. But of course, something isn't quite right with mm. Nana and Pop Pop, as they insist on being called. And when I say something's not quite right, I do I mean in addition to the fact that they claim to like their sons their grandsons rapping, which is impossible. Nobody likes like it. it. Nobody likes it, Pop Pop. Stop lying to the kid. <laughs> Nobody likes it. Here's a clip. Maybe we should go outside and film some evening shots of the house. Okay, sounds good, sister. Could you clean that oven for me, Becca? Get all the way inside. Becca, she's done it before. 
but we really should film something outside. Do this first. I'll be quick. This will just take a second. Oh. The visit there. You were quite incensed uh, before the clip. I <laughs> hate that. The rapping drove me Why would you insane. Rap? It's so bad. It's one of those things that you just... You can tell it's been written. What do the kids like now? Oh, the kids are into the hippity hop. Let's let's give <laughs> let's give them some of the rapping. Because they love the hippity hop. Uh. It's, it's that sort of sensibility. It's, it, you know, with the bipping and the bopping and the... It's, yeah. it's that. And it's really annoying. <laughs> So, this is a really, really schizophrenic film. On a Shyamalan level, right, this is not as bad as, for instance, The Happening or The Last <laughs> Airbender. What? No. Oh, it's not as bad as that. Yeah. But it's not, the other end of the spectrum, it's not as good as, say, Lady in the Water. It's certainly no signs. It's, wait a minute, it's worse than... I think Lady in the Water is one of his worst. Lady in the Water is one of his worst. But it's still not... This is still not as good as Lady in the Water. Oh dear! <laughs> like I said, in my pinnacle, I, I do think Shyamalan's best film is Signs. I genuinely, I like Signs. I love. I think Signs is great. I like Signs. I think Unbreakable is the best. So you kind of Unbreakable's peak, great. Signs kind of peaks at one. I'd put yeah. them on a keel. Swing away, Meryl. Swing Sorry. away. But uh, <laughs> you've got taken aside, haven't you? Um, so it falls on that end of the spectrum. You've got Shyamalan directing, but it's found footage. So any sense of the Shyamalan style. Dies a death right there. There is no visual sense of the Shyamalan style. Doesn't exist. What you have instead is what feels like a Blumhouse film. Which, funnily enough, <laughs> this actually is because it's produced by Jason Blum through Blumhouse Productions. So it looks like it's the found footage <clears throat> addition to the sinister, insidious kind of a family. And it plays exactly like that. Except, every ten minutes or so, the characters stop to have an N. Night Shyamalan style you know, in his mm. in his style of writing, character diatribe. And it's really, really jarring. You've got the two kids who can't seem to act for Toffee. You've then got uh, Peter Robbie and Diana Dunnigan, who are brilliantly creepy. And then you've got Catherine Hahn, who has this very minor sort of a role, but, you know, reminds us all like she's kind of charming and wonderful and needs to be in more films, quite clearly. The problem is, really, the film just isn't very good. It relies on jump scares when you're thinking, this, this is a this is a Shyamalan movie. And by the time you get to the Shyamalan twist, you're thinking, I'm sure this was in one of the trailers I've seen. Hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure the marketing has given this twist away at some point, because I knew it before. I, how? How did I know it? If it's not in the marketing, how did I know going in what the twist was? So it kind of sounds like... M. Night can't make an M. Night film anymore because he's done so many of those terrible ones, so this is the only company that would work with him. I want M. Night to go and make this in the style of an M. Night Shyamalan. Why? Why have we got found footage? Okay, well, apparently he is uh, getting back together with Bruce Willis. That's what I heard. Really? Yeah, that news was released about a year ago, and then recently with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I heard the Joaquin Phoenix one, but that Joaquin Phoenix one is also going to include Jason Blum. So, yeah. And yet Joaquin wouldn't do Doctor Strange, come on. Yeah, he wouldn't do Doctor Strange, but he'll do that again. Mm. I mean, there's there's a great line in the film in which uh, the two kids talk about their departing father. Their father left them at an early age. And Ed Oxenbold, who plays the young, irritating, rapping, supposed nine-year-old, looks about 15. (laughs) And uh, he, he comes out of the line, which is, people leave when they find something they like better. And this line takes place about halfway through the film, at which point you're already thinking, yeah, I wish the filmmakers had remembered that. I really do, because if I had something I liked better right now, I'd go and do that instead. With the latest film news and reviews, 
This is Offscreen. Welcome back. So, on to the, the difficult to pronounce one. I'm going to give it a go. La Famille Bellier? Bellier, indeed. Cracked it. <laughs> so, this is a sort of post-glee, aspirational, musical family comedy. The general With a disability aspect thrown in for good measure. So, they've, tick, they've ticked a few boxes here. Yeah. <laughs> so, what you have of this French family comedy is the story of a deaf farming family. The Belliers. So obviously the title roughly translates to the Bellier family. Uh, You have deaf parents, a deaf brother, and you have a teenage daughter, played by Luan Emera, more on her in a minute, whom, of course, is the only one of the whole family who is not deaf and works basically as the translator for the family. She basically is their link to the outside world, as it were. But mm. it's it's set in contemporary times, so it's a very modern farm. This is a farm where they have iPhones, for instance. <laughs> in the middle of all this, you have... Um, Paula Bellier, who is the Luan Romero's character, the daughter. You have um, she a, a moment in which she's in a mandatory school choir session with this brilliantly curmudgeonly uh, choir teacher who inadvertently discovers that, wouldn't you know it, she's actually been hiding all along this terrific singing voice. Not hiding it intentionally, she didn't know she had it. Well, she wouldn't really be singing. Because, yeah, because exactly. of well, she, she sort of just sings to herself and never really thinks about it. Yeah. And she, it's then discovered she has this amazing operatic sort of, well, uh, soprano, I think they compare mm. it to, singing voice. Uh, the teacher then puts her forward for a, uh, a spot at a prestigious Parisian music school. Um, but of course, this then raises the question of can Paula go? Won't that mean leaving her family Family. to fend for themselves? Can they fend for themselves? What does it mean for her? She's got this gift she never knew she had. What does it all mean, Basil? Here's a... Well, we haven't got to say here's a clip because there isn't a clip. It's a French film. We don't have a clip. (laughs) We don't have a clip. We could just talk French for a bit, but um, let's not. My my French kind of ends at uh, the lyrics to Lady Marmalade and the phrase La Cage au Fol. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of which you should really just utter to people. No, not really. Fossey, Fossey, Fossey. And Madonna. That's the third cage. That's the English language remake. Never mind. Such a good film. So... First and foremost, yep. Luan Emera. Are you familiar with her work? I am not. You are not. Strangely no. enough, Case, neither was I. W- will I be in the future, do you think? I believe very much so you will be. Uh, I think she is a star, this girl. Yeah. Turns out that she was a runner-up on the French version of The Voice. <laughs> she was a semi-finalist the French version of The Voice. How is beyond me, whoever won must be magical. That's all I can say, because she's brilliant. Not only is she a fantastic singer, though, it turns out she can really act. And I don't just mean in that cloy sort of Leah Michelle-esque way. She's got real acting chops. To the extent that I don't speak French, and I've always had a hard time with the whole is someone giving a good performance in a foreign language kind of a deal? If you don't speak the language, how can yeah. you really gaze a performance? However, she emotes so well, so sincerely, so brilliantly, that you look and you can't help but say, this girl is a star. I hope it's not another case of, you know, a, a, a young French female star who we never see again. I hope she's not another Sophie Marceau or another Emmanuel Bière. Or, you know, because Leia Sadu seems to be breaking away from that, but... And it's taken her a while, because she's been obviously for a long time. Yeah, Sadu, yeah. exactly. But uh, I, I hope there is some crossover for Luana because she's terrific. Also great in the film, uh, Francois Damien, who plays... Frankie Damien's, really. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie oh, so Damien. so like English, Francois Damien, English or transport. Frankie Damien's, who plays uh, her father. And he, this guy is fantastic. He really is. Such comic timing, real sort of physical performance. And he has this 
brilliant way of transitioning from the out-and-out slapstick funny stuff to the genuinely emotional and moving stuff. And I will say, this is a really sharply written film, really witty. It understands teenagers in a, in a really refreshing way. As in, you don't feel like... The, it's not like The Visit, where, oh, it's a kid who <laughs> raps because that's what kids are... Yeah, this because feels, we're down with the kids. Exactly. This feels yeah. like the you know the, the someone has a teenage daughter who's written this, you yeah. know, and you know they understand the mechanics. Of it. And the comedic aspect of it is genuinely funny. The emotional aspect of it will out and out have you in tears by the end. And there are some great performances in there, particularly like I forget the name of the French actor who plays the choir teacher. He's brilliant. Uh, these there is um, some slightly out of place cartoonishness from the actress who plays Gigi, the mother. But other than that, it is a terrific film. I really enjoyed it. I didn't expect much of it, and mm. I thought... Oh, just See, gonna... I hadn't heard about it until a couple of days ago when you told me about it. Exactly, because I texted you after. French film, that's the film, film of the week. Film week. <laughs> um, the weird thing is, I, I, I got told the plot before I went in, yeah. and I just thought, this this it sounds like one chance, the James Corden movie. Well, that's what I thought when I saw the trailer, because for me, the trailer did not capture me. It's it's oh. one chance. It's unchance. Yeah, last few years I've seen quite a few uh, French films that I really really loved. Um, uh, the the Intouchables. Yes, I really yeah. liked the Intouchables. That was yeah. great. Uh, Dan La Maison was good. Omar Sy wasn't it? The Omar Sy was in. Right. Now he is. He's one of the X Men now. He's one of the X Men, so. or yeah. will be one of the X Men in the future. So, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. He will eventually be an. X-Men. He might come back for Jurassic. Five. <laughs> Jurassic Five. Jurassic let's, Five. Let's call it Jurassic Five. Yeah, because of course he was in Jurassic. Do a five in, yeah. Do a five in. They'll work that five in. They will. They'll work that five in. But uh, really, really moving, really brilliant film. Wholeheartedly loved it. Uh, Can't recommend it highly enough. Really thought it was Mm. terrific. Oh, what was the what was the French film with Kristen Scott? Was it Kristen Scott Thomas? That was a a Don Don Le Maison. No, no, the one the one that Brian De Palma remade as Passion with. it was Kristen Scott Thomas in the original one because it was the girl from uh, The Did Devil's have, Double. Was it like a yellowish poster? Yes, yellowish and poster. And I can't remember what that... Because oh, she was in I'm two off. French films, of course. Yes. She was in two French films I saw. Kristen yeah. Scott Thomas. Really really liked yeah. her more. Didn't like Passion, despite the fact that it had uh, Rachel McAdams in it. Um, yeah. Rachel McAdams playing like a feisty minx type. <laughs> didn't, didn't do it for me. So should we, uh, should we do some more film news on that note? Let's do that. But uh, after I've used the phrase uh, saucy minx on there. So Michael Fassbender, have you heard about this one he's lining up for? The Snowman, based on the novel by Joe Nesbo. Mm. Is it Joe Nesbo? Is that how you say it? (laughs) I've always said Joe Nesbo. I've always said Joe Nesbo. Yeah. And this, of course, The Snowman is but one of the novels uh, centering around uh, Detective Harry Hole, which is the greatest name. name. (laughs) I want to see Michael Fassbender as Harry Hole. He's only in Advanced Talks. But DCI Hall. DCI Hall doesn't work. <laughs> it sound bad, doesn't it? So what you've got then with the, with this one, it's, it's the first, well, it's, it's the seventh book, and there's a whole series of them, but they want to sort of start a franchise with this, with Michael Fassbender as the detective, <laughs> um, Alex Cross style. You know, series yeah. of adventures. And the snowman centres around Harry Hole, no sniggering, um, <laughs> investigating the case of a young boy's missing mother who's been abducted and the only clue is a mysterious snowman appearing in their front garden Ooh. wearing her pink scarf. So, you know, you announced that the week that there's a pink iPhone unveiled. I mean, it's, yeah. all, it's all a conspiracy. No, no, not, not pink. Rose gold. Rose gold. So it's rose a rose gold, gold scarf on a <laughs> yeah. snowman. Okay, there we are. Oh, 
Then there's the other news. We have to talk about Sam Smith, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not that thrilled about Are it. Are you not that thrilled about it? No, but he, he kind of got to a point where it was a little bit like Benedict Cumberbatch and the Doctor Strange. It, thing. It I was is, just like, like, just somebody say can, something. Can we confirm? We this? just want some. Memes. We know Vin Diesel is Groot. Just admit it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was it was that kind of thing. I mean, I'm I'm sure it'll be fine, and I like that it's the first uh, uh, solo British male. male solo. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. 1965. Since, since Tom Jones, since I know. Thunderball. Since Tom Jones, it's yeah. Taken so a while now, we'll we'll see. I'm not a big fan of Sam Smith, but we'll see. I would prefer Radiohead, who were rumored, but that's just my own personal taste. Because are Radiohead, Radiohead still together at this point? Yeah, man. Of oh. course they are. Oh, fair one of his bands. I don't think they'll ever. Well, so Sam Smith is going to be released. He has recorded. Apparently, recorded it in January. And denied it ever since. And we denied it ever since. We're very <laughs> yeah. good at that. Um, the song is called Writings on the Wall. Yep. It will be released on the 25th of September. Yeah. So, in other words, there'll be an illegally leaked MP3 online. Mmm, now, I would guess. So, like every other Bond song. That's it. I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't yeah, been. So that we have two weeks to m- bitch and moan about it before it's released. Before it comes out and you can and, stream and, it and yeah, buy exactly. it. And it's it's going to sell loads. It's going to get a billion streams. When before we had Quantum of Solace, when that movie was going to be called something else, it was a single word, and it was going to have a killer's theme song. That was really? a great rumor. I liked that rumor. I was reading an article where it was a bunch of um, like not used Bond songs. So Pulp did a version of uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. That is on. Is that is on one of the Pulp albums. That is actually on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, I've, um, I've got that. It's on one of the Pulp albums. Yeah. Um, my favorite one is Have you ever seen the Shaken and Stirred album? No. This was David Arnold did this to celebrate the one of the anniversaries of Bond. Was this with ninety seven? Yeah, in ninety seven, he released an album of covers of Bond themes by contemporary artists at the time. So you had uh, Bjork singing "You Only Live Twice," for instance. Oh, Pulp did a version of "All Time High." And songs <laughs> along those lines, and they were remixed for the time by those bands. Yeah, it was a very interesting. Sort of album. I'm have to try yeah. and dig Shake that it up. and stirred. It was in circulation in '97. You can still get a hold of it in certain places. Amazon. I'll, I will find a way. So my favourite news of the week What's uh, this? because this is just sounds made up, <laughs> and and it's true. It is apparently true. Ronda Rousey has signed up <laughs> for a remake slash reboot of Roadhouse. So to give it its proper term. Roadhouse. 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 That'll work. As I was saying to you earlier, I'm not 100% about You don't like Ronda chops. Well, I, I like her, but... What, I love what, her in what, Expendables what have 3. I seen? Yeah, I've seen her in Expendables 3, where she plays a fighter. I've seen her in Entourage, where she plays herself, a mm-hmm. fighter. Um, uh, and, and, of course, Fury 7. Oh, yeah, where she's a bodyguard who can fight. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, yeah, well, yeah, but, yeah, that's fine. Just don't pigeonhole. Just don't pigeonhole yourself. I, I, I want to see some proper chops. Can I just I remind see... you about what happened when Arnie and Stallone tried to go uh, Arnie and Stallone tried to go serious in the nineties in the early nineties. Okay, 90s. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we don't need another stop on my mum will shoot type affair. <laughs> All right, nobody needs it. Not now. Not ever. I will go see Road Rouse. Uh, <laughs> good. I'm gonna drag you kicking and screaming. <laughs> Dare you sully the good name of the Rouse. Uh, that'd be like her next film. You know what? I, I hope she calls her, her actual home the House of Rouse. The House of Rouse. The House of Rouse. That'd like, be amazing. Like, like the House of Mouse. Like the House Mickey of Mouse. Mouse. House of Rouse. House of that'd Rouse. be brilliant. That's what she'd call, oh, she'd call her home. Like on her mail. She's a mail. Ronda Rousey, care of House of Rouse. California. Yeah. You know, 
PO Box One. You know, <laughs> it would work. <laughs> so on to on often that slightly more comedic note. On to something far less funny, or, mm. or more funny depending. Maze Runner: The Scorch Trials. Yeah, it's not supposed to be a comedy. Not supposed uh. to be a comedy. However, this is a film that gives away so much of itself in its own marketing. It is a movie <laughs> called The Scorch Trials, which features a two and a half minute long trailer, halfway through which a character is heard to loudly proclaim. It's been so long since we've seen someone survive the scorch. Really? There is also, by so the way, a character who is, you know, it's meant to be a big twist that he betrays them. Hmm. It's in the trailer. His actual betrayal <laughs> is in the trailer. I, I don't understand what is going on with these marketing departments. What is wrong with them? This is not a spoiler. It's out there. I'm sure if you've seen any other film, it's in front of that film. So, Major of the Scorch Trials is the second film based on uh, the, no- the young adult novel series because apparently everything is now based yeah. on books aimed at 12 year olds. And uh, unless it's Marvel, in which case it's you know books based on you know aimed at thirteen year olds, yeah. and um, so uh, do you, did you see the Maze Runner? Uh, well, I've seen I've seen the first one. So young boys yeah. wake I up. I didn't think it was that terrible because I quite enjoyed first the one concept. I thought the concept was good. Yeah. The first one's a Twilight Zone episode. That's where it yeah, is. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that's why it's great. Big spider things were cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. Young boys wake up in a maze, no memory, have to get through the maze to freedom. Yeah, the spider gobliny things in the maze, and then there's a girl, and and, and then there's a girl, and then puberty and, happens, and, and, and yeah. puberty apparently never happened in this reality <laughs> because a girl popping up in a camp full of deprived teenage boys, apparently not an issue. No, yeah, um, it's completely fine. It's good. Yeah, this is all for the porn parody people. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> what would that be called? Uh, I'll, the, I'll think about it. The Gaze Runner because it was an entirely <laughs> male cast. Um, <laughs> seriously. John Colson, I mapped this out. Oh, very good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, right, so the end of the movie, of course, was the case of here is two solid minutes of exposition and the setup, the immediate setup for a sequel. You then got that sequel, which now has loads of exposition for things that you've forgotten. Uh, refer, it ref, it's exposition that refers to the other, the other bit of exposition at the end of the last film, so you've forgotten all of it. And then there's the big twisty betrayal thing that's in the marketing, and then we're doing the surviving through the desert thing, then we're doing we're surviving through some tunnels, mm. then we're doing we're surviving through some mountains. That's the movie. And um, no. Okay, here's a clip. Thomas! What the hell are you talking about? Come on, come on, we gotta go. Come on, they're coming for us. What happened? Thomas, can you just calm down and talk to us? It's wicked! It's still wicked. It's always been wicked. Thomas. What did you see? Are you bored yet? Uh, yeah. Right, definitely. okay, so... I was bored when this sequel was even announced. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, it's <laughs> going to get so much worse. Right, I now can't tell this movie apart from the Hunger Games or the Divergent series because they all seem to take place in abandoned silo bases or derelict warehouses. That's the actually said. Yeah, it's all in a post-apocalyptic... Post-apocalyptic, yeah. here's a silo, here's a warehouse. Here's, here's factions. Let's break There's you some factions up. Yeah. and you have to challenge the status quo. That yeah. That's the thing. This one is that, but there's apparently some zombies turn up halfway through. Uh, and I'm not sure what the zombies mean because in the 12 months since... In fact, is it, it's not even 12 months because it was November 
the Maze Runner last year? Was it October? It was Octo- October. I, I, I remember seeing that and uh, Turtles in the same day. It was so October. That was interesting. So since October, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. now forgotten the entire plot of the Maze Runner. Didn't rewatch really it. Nobody can blame you. But, and you watch this film, and you're like, Good lord, none of these kids can act. And you've got Dylan O'Brien, who is just dead-eyed and looks like he's just some passerby who wandered onto a movie set and they said, here's a three-quarter length sleeve t-shirt, put some soot on it and run through some sand, please. Put some mud on your face, amazing. Yeah, just, just, I tell you what, part your hair nicely, just squiff it up a little bit. (laughs) You are still leading a film, remember? You are still leading a film, yeah. Um, Oh, what's that? You're on a show for MTV, that figures. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the adult cast is just insultingly poor. Aiden Gillen turns up to do what Aiden Gillen does, yeah. and you're sort of thinking, "You did this on Game of Thrones. You are still doing this on Game of Thrones. You are known for doing this on Game of Thrones." <laughs> hey, Baelish is one of the best things about Game of Thrones. If you have an actor who's best known for playing a plumber, why would you then cast him as a plumber? It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Why do it again here? By the time Patricia Clarkson turns up, you'll you'll be napping. Yeah. Um, you've then got Barry Pepper, who is meant to—I think—he's meant to be a character who's t- who's going to lead the sequel. Although by the time he turns up, you're thinking, "Is that Alex Winter?" I can't quite tell. Uh, Natalie Emmanuel turns up as a, because oh. towards the end of the film, they just drop characters in, mm. presumably for the sequel. Yeah, they're setting things up. They're setting think, things up yeah. for what I'm going to guess is going to be a two-part movie called The Pond Skimmer. Or something along those lines. And then we'll change the name of the last one. <laughs> yeah. Like the Pond yeah. Skimmer. And then the Pond Skipper. The, the Pond Skimmer and then pond the Garden Jumper. jumper. Garden something, Jumper, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and no, Bored. Uh, Wes Ball, who's the director, seems to be asleep as well. You've got the CGI zombies and, and CGI gribbly things. And <laughs> you are just you're just bored by it all the way through because you start thinking, yeah. I can't tell. Is this the one where president presidents? No, no, that's, that's Hunger Games. Is this the one where they jump off trains? No, that's Divergent. That's, that's the one with Charlene's Woodleys. Um, no, okay. Bored now. And that's it. You go through this two-hour, eleven-minute-long film, and boy, do you feel it! Two hours and eleven minutes for a film that nice. is all about walking from point A to point B. You will not believe how directionless this film is. And I, I am not exaggerating anyway. This is a film with no direction whatsoever, despite the fact, ironically, that it has it centers around a plot to get from point A to point B. That is its constant thing. Hey, we've reached point B. Oh, there's another point B now. Oh, okay. Let's go walk to point B. And there's more. Point there's B. more walking in this than a Lord of the Rings movie. One. I knew you were going to bring up Lord of the Rings. I knew it. There is more walking. Is do, do you remember the way back? The movie <laughs> yeah. about walking. Yeah. More walking in more this. Walking. Seriously, more walking in this, and actually more sleeping. There's, there's, there's a lot of walking in film, but sleep you know, walking, be, if you will. Sleep, sleep walk. Yeah, sleep sleep walking, yeah. Sleeping for you, walking for them. <laughs> so, what are those things? So, how do you feel about film news, Case? Uh, do you know what? I like it, especially like it. when we have it four times in one episode. <laughs> That's well, my favourite. It breaks down the day. It does, you know, yeah. In the old days, we used to just do 20 minutes of uninterrupted film oh, news. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big blocks of it. Now it's nice, easy-to-digest chunks. nice, easy-to-digest chunks, exactly. So what, what do you have for me? Speaking of nice, easy-to-digest chunks... And I am <laughs> what a segue. To, and I am referring to the, the, the sort of 10, 10, 15-minute long segments that are Nickelodeon cartoons. Oh, uh, I know what this yeah, is. Yeah, you see where I was going with that? Nice segue. Well played. Uh, well, Nickelodeon <laughs> is bringing back some of its animated shows, such as Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, etc., mm. And they're going to be in an Avengers-esque team-up movie, which is going to be partially That's live crazy. action. At Paramount. Well, partially live action? Partially live action. So this could be oh. interesting. <laughs> uh, Danny Boyle. We have to talk about Danny Boyle, because he's got mm. uh, Steve Jobs. He's got the Steve Jobs movie coming up. Of course, yeah. Which Steve Wozniak saw at the Telluride Film Festival. Yeah. And he loved it. And It's quite rare that that happens, right? Really, did did you hear the actual... Uh, do, do you know the backstory about Steve Wozniak and his relationship with these films? 
Um, he, a little bit. It's he, quite limited. He didn't yeah. like. He famously did not like uh, the Jobs in 2013, which starred Ashton Kutcher. Well, nobody did. So nobody did. Although you know, Ashton Kutcher was not the problem with that movie. He actually wasn't a bad Steve Jobs. He looks just like him. I mean, I, w- I would give that to him. He had the personality down, mm. actually, in a strange way. But um, I think Michael Fassbender might be a bit too psychotic. Like Steve Jobs had to. Yeah. He, Steve Jobs was a psychopath because he could charm and then be evil. Well, Boyle so said that Fassbender playing it is like Fassbender's too focused. I think too focused. Too focused. Yeah, he said he said he's like a Shakespearean character. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's going to be the problem with it. Uh, so uh, Steve Wozniak uh, mm. saw Jobs, didn't like it. Ashton Kutcher took him to town of it. Well, you know he's involved with the other movie they're doing, which would eventually be the Danny Boyle one. Yeah. So you know it's business to him. So you know it's it's in his interest to slate it. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't available to us. That was it. He wasn't available to us as a resource. Was the direct quote. Uh, Steve Wozniak then countered by saying, by revealing that he had in fact been offered the job of consulting on the film, had read the script, and the quote was, "He was abhorred by it. Ooh. He and his wife both were abhorred, <laughs> abhorred. by it." So, point one to the Wozniak. Thank you. Yes, was. <laughs> yes, was. Neil Poir Ashton. So, <laughs> could you? Could you? What do you call? What's his? What's his short to? Ashton could you? Kutch, probably Kutch. AK. Yeah. Anyway, okay. so he's seen, uh, he saw Steve Jobs at Tollyride and apparently loved it. Yeah. Said it was a great performance. He particularly liked uh, Seth Rogen. Was I was going to say, did he like Seth he Rogen Seth playing him? Portrayal That's good film. casting. Uh, he's very good. I do like that. Just remember, it was Josh Gad in Jobs. I think um, that's all right. That as was well. that was quite good casting as well. Yeah. So of course, uh, Danny Boyle directed that. He's now confirmed that the sequel to Train Spotting. Which is, this has been rumoured for like 20 years now, surely. Yeah, it's been quite dependent on everybody's timing and, more importantly, how everybody feels about each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if, well, if we're all friends. <laughs> Danny Boyle has now confirmed that Train Spotting 2, or whatever it's going to be called, I think yeah. it's playing the book's called Porno, isn't it's it? It's Porno in the Book. Porno in the Book. Yeah. That Porno or Train Spotting 2, whatever it's going to be called, will be his next project. Yeah. So, That's yeah. Exciting. He has yeah, also am, said, though, the biggest struggle is, is finding that slot where everyone's free. Yeah, because two of the people are on shows in the States. So well, yeah. John, John Lee Miller John and, Lee Miller and Robert Carlyle. Well, yeah, yeah. Robert course. Carlyle's got once upon a time. John Lee Miller's got elementary. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Ewan Bremner hasn't got a show at the moment. No. Uh, who else is on the cast now? No. Not off the top of my head. I can't remember. Well, anything. I think that's it. The only ones will have like kind of prior long-standing engagements. Oh, I have to talk about this project because I was very excited about this. Right, Andre Overdahl, who is the director of Troll Hunter. Troll! <laughs> oh, I love that film, man. God, I love Troll! My favorite, one of my favourite fan footage films. Uh, one of the only ones I like. That Chronicle, and um, yeah, that Chronicle, I think, are about it. Yeah. Um, so, Troll Hunter director, Troll! Uh, Andre Overdahl, um, has signed on to direct a sci-fi thriller called Emergence. Right, I love the sounders. This is the, this is going to be a sci-fi thriller that centers around a mining team, a terraforming team, who have to fight for their lives when the terraforming chemical accidentally gets released onto the, the atmosphere. I think it's Martian atmosphere, mm. and and consumes everything like a forest fire and that's comes cool. for them. That that's going to be awesome. I really oh, that is. Really good. It's an Amer- It's an Australian Irish co-production. So, hmm. no. We shall see what comes of that. We shall see what comes of that. Just, just talk about uh, Troll Hunter. Um, when I work for a famous all-consuming cinema brand, I'm not going to talk about it, but yep. I used to work for one uh, down in Wales. And whenever that trailer would come on, because we'd have the trailers playing in the like lobby, lobby and stuff, yeah. all of the staff members would all be like, Troll! <laughs> so like at least twice an hour, everybody would shout Troll. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're gonna love it. We used to have that in Blockbuster years ago with the uh, the trailers for the trailer for uh, I believe it was Rain Over Me with Adam Sandler. Oh yeah, where every Don't staff member would sing the song "How to Save a Life by the Fray" every single time <laughs> it was on. Uh, my personal favourite was you're aware of my Russell Crowe impression. Oh, I am. Um, yeah, yeah. It was during the trailer for A Good Year. Good morning, lab rats. <laughs> every time. That's pretty good. Just became a thing. Last review then, Case. Let's so, do it. Irrational Man. So this is uh, the latest from uh, Mr. Woody Allen. The latest from Mr. Woody Allen. He's quite prolific. Well, he's it? one of the most prolific spectacle wearers there is, sir. <laughs> He is. Yeah, any cartoon you've ever seen of Woody Allen, they always start by drawing the specs first. Yeah. Well, so, they're pretty iconic. This is true. This is yeah. now Woody Allen's 50th year of filmmaking, would you believe? Wow. That's that's an achievement. That really is. So, this latest one, because it's, it, it, it's like a, an annual re- It's like an annual play now. This is what we mm. get. It's like a stage play every year. Yeah. We, we unite for an all-star cast to do a stage play direct, written directed by Woody Allen. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're to roam with love. But, yeah, but they're all made by Woody Allen. They're all... Yeah. Same kind of pitch, same kind of style. Same kind of tone, yeah. Exactly. And this latest one has Emma Stone, Joaquin Phoenix, and Parker Posey at the fore. Also has Ethan Phillips in it, bizarrely. Mm. You might know as Neelix from Star yeah. Trek Voyager. <laughs> Um, so the basic gist around this around this one is uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a sort of sozzled, alcoholic, uh, overly libidious... Libid- libidious? Libidious? Let's say libidious. That, Horm- sounds, that sounds more like a word. Let's just say hormonally charged... Uh, college professor, <laughs> philosophy professor named yeah. Abe Lucas, who takes a job, uh, a summer job, uh, at a very sleepy New England college, where you know he quickly proceeds to drink and bone everything that moves, and begins a friendship with a, a student played by Emma Stone. They have a, uh, a somewhat platonic relationship. She wants more, he doesn't. He wants to keep it within the professor-student uh, dynamic mm-hmm. and uh, he also begins an affair with his married colleague played by Parker Posey and then one day he discovers the source to finding some kind of meaning and purpose with his life when he determines that he could make the world a better place by committing the perfect murder and bumping off a local judge <laughs> whom he's never met and has no interaction with you look really confused because I've seen the trailer for this. Yeah. <laughs> once he's that has come out of left field. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And once he's com- once he's uh, set his mind to it, he has to a work out how to commit said perfect murder, and then also deal with and focus and, and live with the ethics of having committed a decision. In the meanwhile, you also have the women in his life and their suspicions of his involvement. Here's a clip. How's it coming? Um, blocked. Can't write. Why? I I can't write because I I can't breathe. Hope we get you breathing again. I you know the will to breathe, Mm. inspiration. You need a muse. I've never needed a muse before. I hope you're not going to send me back out into the rain without sleeping with me. I'm trying to write. You're blocked. I'm going to unblock you. Very, Mm. very Woody Allen. Very, (laughs) very macabre. Very dark. And it is, in every sense, uh, very much a typical Woody Allen film. It has... uh, There's a lot of the navel-gazing sort of sensibility. By... uh, I mean, because Irrational Man, famously, is the the name of a a sort of infamous philosophy textbook. And uh, there is a lot of philosophy to the film, but 
weirdly not much more than there is in the average Woody Allen film. And the strange thing is, I think because we had She's Funny that way recently, it feels like we had a Woody Allen film recently, even though that was Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. And so, quite, yeah, quite yeah. Woody Allen-ish. Yeah, yeah, and we said at the time it was very much like a Woody Allen film, and this kind of reminds you, actually, I feel like I saw a Woody Allen film recently. Oh, wait, I didn't. That was Peter Bogdanovich. Mm. Um, the cast are all very game... As with all Woody Allen films, it's about whether or not they can get on board with the Woody Allen shtick mm. and how in, in sync with it they are. And in this case, they are all pretty in sync with it. Joaquin Phoenix feels a little bit like he's coasting, but he's still quite enjoyable in it. Um, Emma Stone's the second time around for Emma Stone because she did uh, Magic in the Moonlight last year with Colin Firth. Yeah, I thought she was quite good in that. Yeah. And then you've got Parker Posey, who's actually quite enjoyable. A little bit of fun in there. Mm. And it is. An, it's an interesting... I mean, the mechanics of... The, the plot machinations of uh, Joaquin Phoenix's would-be assassination plot are a welcome diversion, I think, from the, the, the navel-gazing philosophy. When that starts to get a bit much, it's nice to have that diversion, actually, for a change in a Woody Allen film. Particularly since the last one, the navel-gazing was kind of embedded with the plot. Mm-hmm. So, this time around, a little bit more diverting, and I quite like it. Uh, if I have a complaint, I don't know. I... It feel it, it does feel very pedestrian though. I mean, it, within the rules, the established rules of a Woody Allen film, it's it's fine, but it's it's no better than good. It's good, but it's, it's good for fun. a Woody Allen film. I think it will put off casual moviegoers. Yeah. I think anyone who doesn't know, you know Woody Allen's work will be like. Mm. I think it's just kind of following the rules, isn't it? So every three or four years, we'll get like uh, Midnight in Paris. And then we've got to kind of suffer through some more yeah. rubbish ones. Then we'll get um, what was the Kate Blanchett one? Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine, which Naturally, was great. This was has this has a lot less to say than Blue Jasmine, and but and it's I don't know it's it's not quite. I liked it more than I liked uh, Magic in the Moonlight. To be fair, yeah. um, but I, I do like the sort of the the, the the comedy of errors aspect to it, and it's very much a Woody Allen film. I I, I hesitate to give it to give it a bad review because. Within the confines of Woody Allen's sensibilities and Woody Allen's body of work, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think it has no casual audience whatsoever to this one. But what more can you say? It's a Woody Allen film. You know what to expect. It's a you Woody Allen film. But uh, and Film of the week, I'm, I'm going to give to La Famille Bellier. Yeah. Which is amazing. It does sound really good. Luana I mean, Mera is a star. Very, very good light. Yeah, she is a star. She, that's it. We'll there's, see what happens with her. There's the, you know, water's wet, the sky is blue, Luana Mera is a star. There we are. <laughs> That, that's it, and, and Satan Claus, Jimmy. Satan Claus is out there. Anyway, so to go a bit uh, Shane Black there for a second, Satan Claus is out there. So next week, mm. we've got some interesting ones next week. We've got Bill next week. Do you know about Bill? No, I don't know about. This that. is like a comedic What's take this? on the life of Shakespeare. Oh, okay. It's a revisionist comedic take. Can't remember Anonymous, the Roland Emmerich one. Uh, I could tried not to make stand. it. May try to make it an epic. This oh, is hey, this is more. Right. I think this is a comedic one. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a watch. Give it a We've watch got the D train because you know James Marsden <laughs> loves the D. You were and... dying to say that. <laughs> <laughs> James so, Marsden, um, Jack Black love the D. Yeah, Jack Black, uh, Catherine Hahn, Jeffrey Tambor is in that. It's got a good cast. It's a good it? cast. Uh, Everest is upon us next week. And I am so, looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I, I love a good. Big epic, I love, yeah, we'll, what can, you'll see. Can we call it a cinematic peak? Oh, <laughs> terrible. That's a John Mosby pun, that one. Yeah. Wait until Crimson Peak comes out. Great Crimson Peak, that. yeah. We've got Infinity next week as well, which is the uh, Australian-produced sci-fi movie. I had the pleasure of seeing that the mm-hmm. other day. Starring, doesn't star anyone you'd really know, but Luke Hemsworth is in it. 
He's like, he's like the Daniel other, Baldwin of Hemsworths. Yeah, but he is like the third rate he, yeah, Hemsworth, he's isn't the, he? He's the other Hemsworth. <laughs> other, other Hemsworth. Imitation brand Hemsworth. Yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of what yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, the Messenger with uh, Robert Sheehan and Lily Cole. That's next week. And of course, Robert Redford in A Walk in the Woods. Yeah, I'm looking forward with? to that. Yeah, uh, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte, that's and, it. Um, have some... Uh, Emma Thompson's in there. Is Emma Thompson? Yeah, yeah. Is it it's good directed by Bill Bryson, I think, isn't it? No, but it's just about Bill Bryson. Is it about Bill it's Bryson? It's about his, his travels with his best friend, yeah. Ah, fair enough. Should be good. So, yes, we've got all that to come it's and a bit more. busy all week, yeah. Right, and in the meantime, we've got the <laughs> Catalina wine mixer to look forward to. So Censored. If I, I wish I could be there. I really do. Boats and hoes, yo. Boats and hoes. So we've got all those films and more to come next week off screen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. My name is Case Allen and we will be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, cut. That's all right. Three, two, one. Troll! Troll!